Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I catch up again with Amos Kepler, coming to us all the way from Norway. He is an author who has just published his 27th book. He's also an artist, photographer, and musician. We talk geopolitics, extinction, rebellion, and the world of shadows. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. Thank you very much. It's great uh, to be here. It's great to be back, really. Might have, been a, might have been a couple months since the last time we've spoken. What have you been up to? You're coming, uh, you're coming here live tonight from Norway, right? We're on the, we're on the chat here. You're in Nor- Norway. I'm in South Texas. Yes, that's, uh, that's quite a bit uh, of difference. <laughs> <laughs> and as sure. always, you're, it's the uh, middle of the night there for you, but you're, you're a night owl. You like that night schedule. You've always been like that. Oh, yes. Uh, I've always been a night owl for, um, since, uh, since I was a child, really. I, I enjoy the night. Uh, it isn't that I can't function in, uh, in daylight, but uh, I function better, much better. In uh, in the night. <laughs> what's uh, what's your normal sleep schedule like? Well, I I usually uh, I I usually say that I am having uh, Las Vegas uh, uh, thing. Really, uh, I wake wake up here uh, usually if I ha- uh, if I want to go to store in, in town and such. I have to. Um, Wake up earlier, but uh, usually when I have long stretches of uh, being at home and just writing, uh, uh, deepening myself in my uh, art, I usually wake up at five o'clock in the afternoon, uh, which is eight o'clock in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> so that's the that's the time I guess at least some people in Las Vegas even don't. Those two, those are night owls too. They have to be right if yeah. they want to play poker uh, during the night, which many um, do. So, uh, so I, I rise in five o'clock and um, go to bed uh, before the sun rise in the morning, at least uh, currently in the winter. So. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty, uh, during the winter time up in Norway, it's pretty dark there most of the day, right? Yes, we have a blue light, blue hour all day, right? I don't know how much you know about photography, but uh, we have an expression in photography that has, has blue hour, right? That's early, uh, usually early morning and uh, late, uh, uh, the twilight, your twilight, uh, yeah early morning and twilight afternoon. But uh, now we just have six hours of daylight. Uh, that can hardly be said to be daylight at all. So we have blue hour uh, all day. So it's uh, great uh, photography. Oh, yeah, it's cool. So you, get, you get views of the, they call them like the northern lights and stuff like that, where the I think the Earth's magnet magnetic poles or something kind of warp the 
the sunlight, if I'm not, <laughs> I'm not exactly an expert on this, but uh, have you done, um, you know, photography with, you know, the so-called like northern lights and the amazing uh, color displays that you can, you know, see at the poles? Is Norway far, far enough north that you can see that kind of stuff? Uh, some of Norway, but not where I live, really. We, we get it uh, this far south, too. Norway is uh, extremely long, so in south-north uh, direction, right? Yeah. Just to say, if, if we take the southern tip of Norway and turn the northern tip uh, south, we get to Rome. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. What, I, what I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's... Uh, uh, Norway uh, in length stretches uh, north to south in Europe. If uh, it could be good, at least. So um, uh, I live at the sixty-fourth, sixty-eighth, sixty-eighth latitude. I think. Uh, so I'm. Um, you know, uh, New York, for instance, is at the same latitude as uh, Rome in Italy. So we live, uh, the only reason we have it relatively hot here is the Gulf uh, Stream, right? The Atlantic, uh, Atlantic Stream. It goes all the way up. Yeah, it's taking some of that warm water while I'm at in the, uh, the, the Gulf of Mexico near Texas. I actually uh, looked at a map. Someone superimposed a map of the United States on Europe and then a map of Europe on the United States. And kind of like what you were saying, uh, most of the countries in Europe are a whole lot farther north, although uh, the climate is very similar. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the the Gulf Stream uh, is, allows Europe to have, you know, similar climate, hot summers, uh, cool to cold winters. Um, but with the climate crisis unfolding as we speak and getting worse and worse, I heard a stat that something like um, the climate is changing to the tune of like, it'd be like the, to the tune of something. I'm just kind of making this up from memory or, or, or remember, I'm remembering it. I'm not sure if it's exactly accurate, but it's been changing so drastically. It would be like moving south three meters a day. Uh, that's how yes. that's how fast it's changing. So it's kind of crazy right now. Something like that. Three meters a day moving south. So obviously over the course of five or ten years, you know, that's a significant change to the climate and it's getting worse and worse. So if that Gulf Stream um, and, the, and the climate patterns ever change, it could put, uh, I've heard some, you know, worst case scenarios here. It could put Europe in another ice age. I think there was an ice age uh, a few hundred years ago. They called it the mini ice age. Uh, a yes. lot of, um, you know, a lot of bad things happen in Europe, a lot of famines and on that kind of stuff. So that could be drastic, this climate change stuff. And you're a uh, you're part of the Extinction Rebellion. So what do you think about all the, the climate shifting, the climate changing? And, you know, what is it what's it doing? Um, you know, maybe over the course of you, your lifetime, have you noticed uh, some significant changes where you are in Europe uh, and in Norway? Enormously. Uh, we did used to have six months of uh, winter. It started uh, almost like clockwork uh, at October 4th. Uh, and it's basically six weeks late now. Uh, two, uh, two years ago, we didn't have below uh, zero at all. Not during the entire six-month period. So uh, it's an enormous change. And uh, I know better than most, because my mother used to... Uh, is write down temperatures. So I learned uh, learned um, documentation from an early age, and it's far hotter now. It's it's usually like London was forty years ago. In London is like uh, you know like um, Athens, yeah, Greece, yes. or something like that. Like you know closer to the equator. I've heard. London this summer and last summer were the hottest on record, maybe 100 degrees Fahrenheit uh, or over 90 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that, where, you know, typically yes. they're not, they're used to a lot milder uh, summers, but now they are getting, you know, kind of, you know, Mediterranean kind of Greek Isle like summers. And that's just not normal. That's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles south from where London is, but now they're kind of getting that similar climate to, uh, again, like Greece. We, uh, I was in London in September 2009, I think, I believe. Uh, 
and uh, it was just like like uh, Las Vegas. There was no uh, significant difference. We walked around with uh, uh, huge bottles of water all day. Uh, we had to just by going outdoors. And uh, uh, and one more uh, one thing uh, made it worse. You know, in the uh, United States they have uh, climate uh, aggregates, right? Uh, climate uh, making making um, houses in the south or in, and in Las Vegas uh, uh, possible. <laughs> but in in Northern Europe, we have got nothing like that, right? So uh, people died like flies. They didn't have uh, any way of cooling their apartments, their houses. Yeah, I guess there. Yeah, we have like air conditioning here, but yeah, in many, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, that's what I meant. Air yeah, conditioning. yeah. But in many parts yeah. of Europe, that's not normal. It's not needed. It doesn't get that warm. But yeah, it's, no, no one has it. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Very rare. At least, but in Northern uh, Europe, yeah. uh, medio to nor- Northern Europe, perhaps in Spain and such, but not uh, not in uh, my part of uh, Europe, so to speak. So uh, I think it was as Oslo, the capital there of Norway. Pardon? Is Oslo is that the capital of Norway or one of the bigger cities there? Uh, it is the biggest city, yes, and the capital, absolutely. And then there was the, uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting deep into the um, Israel-Palestine stuff. Not so much the new stuff that's going on. It's just, it's literally just genocide from my perspective. It's just uh, essentially <laughs> systemic uh, massacring, systemic genocide, s- systemic uh, murder of the Palestinians. And essentially, yeah, I mean, genocide is destroying their culture, destroying where they live there in Gaza. Um, and uh, but I think there was, wasn't there the Oslo Accord? Um, I'm not too familiar with it, but that, that one point in time, wasn't Norway trying to broker peace between um, Palestine and Israel? And then I guess that kind of broke down. And since then, there's been some ceasefires and then there's been some, you know, uh, Israeli aggression and just kind of, you know, kind of continues to it kind of, that, that cycle kind of continues, you know. So every once in a while, um, the Palestinians will, um, you know, uh, launch a, some sort of attack uh, against their um, oppressors, uh, and then obviously there'll be an escalation from Israel, and uh, you know, and the cycle of violence just continues endlessly. But at one point in time, people were optimistic, right? The Oslo Accords could potentially um, maybe mitigate the violence and maybe even offer a two-state settlement, uh, offering um, Palestinians their own kind of country, which is. Uh, not recognized, I don't believe, by the United States or Israel, but is recognized by much of the rest of the world, uh, uh, Palestine as a country. Um, but, yeah, did, do you remember the, the Oslo Accords or when that was going on? Oh, yes, I remember it well. I also uh, noted the poor results of it. Uh, no one likes it anymore. Uh, uh, they didn't really like it when uh, it was negotiated upon either, but uh, I, I don't know why they signed to it. Uh, the Israelis uh, never didn't made any effort at making it work. And uh, it was a bad deal uh, from the start. Uh, they, they didn't uh, agree to... Uh, um, uh, the Zionists uh, didn't agree to withdraw from occupied territories, and they should have, right? But they didn't. They just ignored it. Yeah, I guess there's something about the pre-1967 borders. That's when Israel, um, I guess, invaded and maybe took over the West Bank. I'm no historian by any means. I'm just trying to look into this stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's one of the um, – that's one of, like – the Palestinians, uh, what they're looking for and what they're pushing for is taking over uh, or, or taking back maybe like the pre-1967 borders or something along those lines. Much of the um, illegal settlements, you know, they want re- they want to reclaim them. Of course, the United States and me and all the taxpayers here, we're paying for these illegal settlements. We're paying for Israel's universal health care. We're paying for the genocide. It's all, you know, being used with uh, uh, everything. It's uh, it's enormous uh, amounts of money that are used. And uh, Biden, Joe Biden, is definitely one of the uh, 
is he is the worst president ever because of it. Because there was no excuse for it, right? Uh, they, they have killed uh, 6,000 children so far, at least 6,000 children. Uh, but so... Um, uh, yeah, so 90%, 90%, 90 of the dead are civilians. At least 90%. At least, right, right. And it's, I actually read uh, something on the statistics when the... When the United States uh, tallies um, combatants, all they do is uh, guesstimate um, the, the number of men between the ages of something like 18 and 30 or something yes. along those lines. And then they're just like, OK, they were combatants. Of course, uh, <laughs> criminals, you know, or, you know, they, they never investigate their own crimes, you know, or, 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 or those in power. They, they, they will meticulously investigate the crimes that Russia is carrying out in Ukraine. Uh, but in terms of U.S. aided crimes going on right now in Gaza, the United States will turn the other cheek or just ignore it, turn a blind eye to it. And then they will, um, you know, try to undermine whatever tallies are being um, calculated by Hamas and their government there. But they refuse to uh, investigate their own crimes. Uh, and, you know, when they come up with these statistics, it's basically, you know, people of, of the age that were guessing in this area that were men between, you know, a certain age, which is ridiculous. Uh, there could be a, a lot of men, and there are, um, you know, working in healthcare professions, nursing uh, medical doctors, all that kind of stuff, uh, and yet, you know, if they were killed and they were of a certain age, yeah, they were combatants. It's just ludicrous. Absolutely, and and the, uh, the Zionists, the Israelis, go uh, go even further. They see every single uh, Palestinian as a combatant, no matter the age. Okay, right. So even if uh, it's a one-year baby. Uh, that, uh, he, they were, uh, yeah, the way they see it, they were a future terrorist. You know, that's probably the way they're looking at it. They, they are combatants, right? And yeah. they're, uh, they're calling openly. No, there's no, there's no doubt what they are, they want, that they work for. They work for, uh, for genocide, uh, short and sweet. Uh, it's, it's no, uh, big deal at all, because they are saying it, they only keep re repeating it time and time again, members of the government, members of uh, the, the parliament and, uh, and, and society in general. They're saying death to the Arabs, death to the Arabs, death to the Arabs. And, and when they say that they don't, really, they don't uh, only mean the Palestinians. They mean the older Arabs in Lebanon and Egypt and uh, Syria and so on, right? You heard, heard, heard about greater Israel. That's their ultimate aim. And I've read, too, that Israel on some days throughout this conflict, now it's, I guess, approaching two months, they've bombed not just Gaza, uh, but also other areas of Palestine, Syria, yeah. Lebanon, and uh, Egypt. So, like, four, four countries essentially, uh, you know, been bombed by this, an attack, outright attack. This is aggression. This is the highest crime. Uh, if you take the Nuremberg Tribunal seriously and the, uh, you know, the Nazis um, and, and their war crimes, um, you know, they finally were brought to justice. If you take the Nuremberg Tribunal seriously, they are uh, essentially committing the same crime, the most supreme crime, that the crime of aggression, uh, you know, invading and bombing other countries. And, um, you know, what other country in the world could get away with bombing four uh, sovereign states other than Israel, which is, of course, an, uh, a client state of the United States. So they uh, essentially get, um, you know, a sovereignty over the world because the U.S. runs the world by force. So uh, they essentially get U.S. legal status because, um, you know, the United States without, um, I'm sorry, Israel, without the United States ideological uh, political, financial, and military support, Israel would cease to exist. And the way I see it, Israel is basically nothing more than a military outpost of the United States so that they can control the world's oil supply. Yes, like uh, Joe, uh, genocide Joe, that's <laughs> sad, right? Yeah. If, we, if Israel didn't exist, we would have to create one. Create, create it. When did he say uh, that? I saw that quote floating around the internet. When did he say that? Do you remember? 
uh, I don't remember exactly, but I've seen him say it. Uh, yeah. in the I think it was a while ago, though. I think it was, I want to say, like uh, yes, the 90s uh, or 2000s, maybe, early 2000s? At least 20 years ago, I think, yeah. I yeah. believe. Uh, perhaps uh, 18, uh, 2005 or something, but I, I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But um, it's some time ago, and we see that his uh, actions are, are also totally unprecedented and unforgivable, right? He, he has given, on top of the uh, massive uh, arms uh, deliveries and uh, economic uh, support, he has given them uh, military support. Yes, too, uh, and uh, no, uh, no uh, former president has ever done that, and he will go uh, even further. So it's uh, he, he he is just as, as guilty as they are. At least that. Absolutely, he's got blood on his hands. He's also trying to deal uh, arms deals secretly uh, with Israel, uh, going behind Congress or going. Uh, and over over top of Congress to kind of make these deals work. Uh, he wants to essentially, um, you know, to make tyrannical uh, arms deals against um, 66% of the American people. If we lived in a real democracy, you know, the American people would have some say in the policies going on here. I saw a few weeks ago, 66% of the U.S. population wanted a ceasefire. I even would guess if it's a lot higher now, uh, you know, and I think there's a lot of, um, I, I just think the majority of people I talk to, especially younger people here are in support of at least a ceasefire. They might not necessarily be uh, in favor of a pro be pro Palestine or pro Hamas. Uh, I'm an anarchist, so I don't like any form of government, at least none that I've ever read about or seen. Uh, but they at least want a ceasefire. And I think that's pretty reasonable to want a ceasefire after seeing all this carnage, death and destruction, um, but, you know, unfortunately, the United States is only a democracy in name. In practice, it's an oligarchy uh, or maybe even a plutocracy, a government um, for the rich, by the rich. Yes. But Germany, France and, uh, and Britain, at least, they are just as bad as, uh, uh, as the Americans, really. <laughs> they, they persecute uh, Palestinians, too, uh, uh, protesting in favor of Palestinians, are forbidden. Uh, and, and here in the United States, too, there's a lot of people being blacklisted, a lot of people losing their jobs just for being in support of um, Palestine and just for saying things like, you know, um, the, the Hamas terrorist attack uh, that was carried out, uh, was it sometime in October, that killed thousands of people, uh, was a provocational attack uh, because of, you know, 75 years of uh, settler colonial society, uh, basically what Israel has been doing um, since World War II, uh, Israel has actually received something like $160 billion since World War II. Uh, again, so the, the United States could have a footprint in the Middle East and control the world's oil supply, the world's essentially energy supplies. We have a um, essentially an oil-based economy. And if Israel was a state... It would be number one in federal funding. Of course, Israel is not a state, or maybe it's an honorary state, uh, but it's it's given the, all the rights of American states, but officially it's not. Uh, but if it was, again, it would receive more federal funding than any other state in the Union. So that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, and all against the will of the American people. And again, Joe Biden trying to go behind uh, back doors, make secret deals, and bypass Congress so they can make these illegal arms trades. And of course, the United States, um, the leading terrorist state, Israel is a rogue, a rogue state, a terrorist state that does not abide by international law. And the United States is uh, the world's largest arms dealer, the world's largest arm trafficker. I think about half of any arms deal in the world involves the United States. So we, uh, you know, our number one export is death, death, destruction, uh, and war making. That's our number one export. Unfortunately, um, the manufacturing, um, you know, the, we were the world's manufacturing center uh, for a long time, but that has all been dismantled and uh, because of neoliberalism has been shipped to the global south who makes much of the world's um, products uh, in this, uh, I guess, globalized neoliberal capitalist economy. Uh, the irony is that they uh, 
the, uh, they built a lot of things in China, right? But uh, I bet uh, they regret that now. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, well, see, it's it's the the people. You know, the the people. The jobs are taken away from us. You know, the working people, uh, the, yeah. the rich and powerful who own all the corporations. They they're more than happy to make their goods in China and in the global South. Uh, you know, paying uh, exploited workers of these. Um, poor countries, pennies on the dollar. So if they can make an extra couple bucks by, um, you know, shipping jobs to China or wherever else, they will do so because they could care less about American jobs, even though there's lot, lots of propaganda about it. These capitalists, you know, these transnational corporations, many of which based in America, they could care less about the native population or the American worker or the Norway worker for that matter. I'm sure that a lot of the EU-based corporations do their manufacturing overseas in the global south as well. That's kind of how neoliberalism works. It's kind of a globalized system of trade, a very specific kind of trade, but it's very bad because it actually keeps wages down for everyone. Essentially puts workers in the uh, EU and Japan and some of the richer countries like the United States in direct competition with highly exploited workers of the global south. And in the end, everybody loses. And of course, the cost of living crisis that we're living through right now in the United States actually tweeted something um, the last, I think it was since 1980, the average age of first time home buyers in the United States uh, in the 80s, in the early 80s, I think 1980. Uh, I tweeted it, so check out my account. Uh, but um, if you're if you're out there listening, but something like you know early twenties uh, in 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 the 1980 for the first time home buyer. Uh, the last one I saw I think was 2018 or maybe 2020. The average home buyer I think in California was like 49, and the first time home buyer in in New York State uh, 46, 47. I'm just kind of going off by memory. I'm here in Texas. I think it was 37. So the average first-time home buyer, the age is almost doubled in the last 40 years. So that's essentially what neoliberalism and 40 or 50 years of class warfare has gotten us. Pretty much nowhere, and I said this before, uh, the American dream, it's pretty much dead or on life support right now. You know, the idea that you can go to, edu- you can go to college, get a good job, uh, you know, go on vacation, buy a house, retire, all that kind of stuff is a pipe dream at this point, at least for many of us, unfortunately. Are, are things quite as bad in Norway? Uh, from what I've oh, yes. heard, it's... Uh, it's uh, uh, even, even a married couple, with, uh, well, what both are working, cannot afford to buy a house. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost completely impossible. The only young people that can buy houses is if they have rich parents uh, that can guarantee uh, a loan for them. No one are you seeing that. a lot of inflation going on right now and cost of living, groceries, all that kind of stuff? Are you seeing uh, the significant rise in the cost of living in Norway as well or not so much? Oh, yes, definitely, significant. Yeah. Uh, we were, we, there were uh, one million poor people here uh, before the cost of living uh, rose. Now it's at uh, least 50% more. So it's one third of the, almost uh, one third, at least one fourth the population that uh, can decide to be poor, uh, not but not below the poverty line, but poor, right? They have to choose between paying bills and uh, buy food. Or, and that uh, is even people who have uh, what, what what used to be good jobs. <laughs> so uh, there's been enormous. Um, rise in um, the cost of living. The, uh, uh, the safety nets, though, I think are, from what I've heard, like Nordic capitalism, that sort of thing, the safety nets are, are a little bit better. Maybe you have a little bit longer um, unemployment ins- insurance. Uh, you, we have no guaranteed paid time off for American workers. I think in Norway you have at least three, maybe four weeks. So there's maybe some more maternity leave uh, maternity and paternity, oh, yes. uh, better are. education, better health care. So there's some things that are a little bit better, but still uh, uh, things are, are getting worse perks. for the majority. We have a few perks uh, that uh, Americans don't have. Uh, but we are kept in poverty uh, here as well. Those in poverty has almost no possibility for uh, rising above the station. As the kids say, <laughs> right? So um, 
you, you are kept in poverty and, uh, and the food prices are higher here than in the United States, comparatively speaking, and uh, in, the, in Southern Europe and other poor countries. People in poor countries have it better than uh, the poor people in Norway because uh, uh, the food is so expensive, it's so damn expensive. That you have to use almost all your parts to, uh, to eat, to feed yourself. Okay, so before we maybe change gears here, we want to get into some artistic stuff. Uh, I want to talk some scary stories, some art, maybe witches and zombies, werewolves, all that kind of stuff. I'd love to get to it. Um, but Sweden, I saw, um, because of the Ukrainian conflict, the Russia-Ukrainian conflict, Sweden... Um, shares a border with Russia, uh, and then I guess Norway, right? You're right on the other side, just, uh, just west of Sweden. Uh, what's the geopolitics going on with the Ukrainian war, uh, you know, with Russia, with Sweden and Norway? Again, I saw something where in certain areas, Sweden kind of closed their border with Russia. Is there anything going on with Norway, uh, that you've read about or maybe Sweden? Uh... Norway and Sweden are Nazis. Uh, the entire Europe, yes. except Slovakia, they are uh, they have uh, discontinued any aid to Ukraine. So uh, they are the only, almost the only positive uh, government in Europe uh, right now. Right, uh, Finland and Sweden uh, are basically joint NATO. Right, which is a huge mistake, but they yeah. also they are so eager about it that uh, it's sickening. <laughs> so I I've always been uh, anti NATO, but uh, it's uh, worse than ever. Right? Uh, they shouldn't have uh, none of the uh, previous Warsaw Pact uh, countries should have joined NATO. From the 1990s, 1987, and onward. Uh, so, uh, it's just uh, I, I didn't believe I could get shocked, right? But I have been uh, subjected to a number of shocks the last five years. Uh, first of all, Jeremy Corbyn in Great Britain. Uh, great Britain, I have a great attachment to Great Britain both because of London and because of my children who are in, uh, in Great Britain, in the United Kingdom, in London, basically. Uh, but they, they managed to uh, convince people that the man that uh, could, um, that the man that had been anti-racist his entire life suddenly had become a racist, right? And um, it was the old communist scare uh, and everything. They, they uh, rolled over him and his uh, people, his uh, supporters, right? Uh, and he wasn't, uh, his politics uh, weren't and aren't really that radical, but it would be like uh, Britain returned to the 70s, to the politics of the 70s. And uh, the establishment didn't want that, right? And then the, uh, the Ukraine war happened. And, and people got uh, turned nasty overnight, right? Uh, my theory is that uh, people never, uh, the Nazis never really left. They just uh, bid their time. And now they have uh, come out in the open. Uh, we saw the extreme uh, power of Uganda. We've seen it in several countries. And right. for, for, for decades, the United States has allied with neo-Nazi states in South America, these neo-fascist regimes. Uh, the yes. Pinochet regime comes to mind, where essentially you know, a slightly left-leaning government gets overthrown, aided by the United States. And then, you know, the United States allies with these neo-fascist dictators, these neo-fascist regimes. So it's kind of like, you know, of course, in 2014, uh, the coup d'etat that that happened in Ukraine 
um, that was um, essentially, uh, you know, carried out by the United States and, uh, you know, their, uh, I guess, the CIA um, to install a pro-Western regime. I mean, this is just kind of, this is the same old routine, right? Kind of what happened in Ukraine. It's it's the same old routine uh, on uh, uh, steroids, basically. <laughs> right, it's it's uh, become uh, gone from bad to worse, horrible. Yeah, too bad countries. we can't have. Uh, too bad we, you aren't shocked or me as well. Too bad we're not shocked and surprised for good reasons. It's always worse reasons, you know. It's always like, wow, I didn't think it could get this bad and got even worse. And that's kind of what I've read reading about the climate uh, crisis that we're in right now. Every every uh, every new article I read. Yeah, we thought things were pretty bad before, but it's even worse now. So, not a good sign. It's taking a turn for the worse. Everything is <laughs> taking a turn for the worse. Imagine yeah. if we focus, focus on this climate crisis as much as we do making war, blowing up, killing people, blowing up hospitals in, in Gaza, killing children, doctors, nurses, babies in incubators. Imagine if we took all this attention, uh, all, all of our energies, all of our focus, and take, took it away from... Uh, you know, war making and put it to, you know, positive youth, uh, positive use, like, uh, you know, trying to address the the climate crisis and try to scale up green technologies and renewable energy. But as I said in uh, my articles, uh, it's 100% certain that uh, the establishment uh, of uh, the Western world won't do anything to prevent uh, uh, Climate uh, collapse, climate uh, uh, crisis. Uh, that's that's a given by now. If they if they, were, they wanted to do sort of anything, anything worthwhile, they would have done it long ago. But they they are, they are, it's it's just like the the Zionists. They have they have uh, given up uh, on pretense uh, on any pretense. Of benevolence at all, they they push their agenda in uh, in the Ukraine without seemingly without thought of consequences at all. They they are just they are losing, right? And that's that's the one good thing in the world right now. Uh, uh, U.S. Uh, slash NATO slash Israel. It's losing. We are losing for China and Russia and India and BRICS. Um, and they know it. So they are getting desperate to regain old glory. So it's scary, though, you know, when the United States and the military industrial complex here gets desperate, bad things could happen, though. You know, it's scary for much of the rest of the oh, world. Yes. You never know what the people who have their uh, finger on the the nuclear button. I think didn't Trump say my button's bigger than yours, or you know, just kind of nonsense, joking about blowing up the world. Like what a what a world run by psychopaths. But uh, yeah, again, when the military industrial complex gets desperate, or when they see they're losing, who knows what they're going to do? You know, they they are they are. Um, we have to uh, assume that they will uh, go even crazier, right? So, so it's there have been a lot of statements, really, uh, from Hillary Clinton and others. Uh, uh, we should use atomic weapons, and an atomic war isn't so bad. <laughs> Everybody loses. Everybody loses. We wouldn't be here today talking about it. You know what I mean? What a what a bad outcome. Everyone loses. Absolutely, and it's so obvious, right? But they don't see it. And they don't want to see it, and they don't want others to see it, right? It's, yeah, it's the, I mean, the, the corporations that run the world don't they understand that if everyone's dead, nobody's going to buy their crap? <laughs> I, I I do believe they are ignorant. Uh, basically, they are, they, they are uh, focused on growing their power and earning even more money. That's every that's everything on, uh, on their mind. 
So what the United States wants to do is essentially bypass the United Nations. It's been getting a lot of resistance. It's essentially a pariah state a lot of the times with votes uh, in the UN. So I think what it wants to do is uh, run the world with NATO. And right now, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of acquiescence uh, in Europe. Right now, Europe is allowing uh, the United States to kind of, you know, dictate foreign policy for the EU, uh, and essentially and have these, these proxy wars. But the people, they're starting to resist. I've seen all kinds of uh, resistance movements all throughout Europe and in the United States, too, uh, in support of the Palestinians and resistance to the proxy war in Ukraine, uh, anti-NATO protests going on. So a lot of good resistance movements happening here in the United States, but definitely in Europe. There's a lot of anti-NATO sentiment there and a lot of pro-Palestinian sentiment in Europe, which I've been seeing online, and a lot of anti-United uh, States sentiment, right? So there's some res- resistance going on in Europe. Would you, would you say the same for Norway, too? Uh, no, Norway is unfortunately an exception. We are so American loyal that it's sickening. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it might change to have changed now uh, because uh, the uh, Palestinian issue have uh, served as a catalyst really for uh, for change uh, everywhere. Even in Norway. Yeah, people can only view videos of hospitals being bombed in Palestine for so long before they start to, you know, before before they start to speak up. You know, I mean this this genocide that's happening in real time. You can watch art, or you can watch videos, articles, news stories every single day about the gruesome nature of the genocide being carried out there. Only so much of this someone can take before they start to, you know, see through the pro-Israel and um, you know anti. Uh, Palestinian propaganda. It's 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 clear to me, you know, having having watched it and read about this uh, this this issue um, in, in in this region of the world that it's clearly one sided. The violence uh, is clearly one sided. Every once in a while, you know, there's a Hamas rocket into Israel, which I don't uh, condone. But I think um, Nelson Mandela, Mandela said something like, you know, we will support peace as long as we can. And when violence is our only option, you know, then we will we'll use that option, you know. And I think at this point, the Palestinians are so desperate. Uh, I think the same thing uh, JFK, who's a war criminal, but I'll quote him, said something along the lines, um, when peaceful revolution is impossible, uh, violent resistance is inevitable or something along those lines. So that's, that's what I kind of see what's going on here right now. I support fully uh, armed, uh, the Palestinians armed struggle. Uh, I see no reason why uh, we shouldn't. And, and they have tried everything else, right? They have tried appealing to the world, please help us, please help us. They, have, they, have, they tried, the, the last time they tried anything non, non-violent was in 2018. And they were ma- massacred. Uh, they, they were just uh, mowed down, shot. Uh, they, they marched peacefully on their side of uh, the Gaza border, and uh, the um, Israeli army just fired on them. The, and the world didn't uh, make any protest at all. So uh, if they hadn't uh, done um, violent uprising earlier, they they have no they have any choice anymore. They, yeah, they don't, they don't. They don't have very many hands to play. You know, they don't have very many choices, very many options at this point. Violence might be the only option. Yes, they 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 uh, they have tried, as I said, they have, they have tried everything else, and they have no no only two choices remain. That's uh, extinction, genocide, or uh, violent uprising. All right, let's, let's change gears here. No doubt, I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're in 100% agreement with all this geopolitical stuff. Let's change gears here. Uh, let's get into some spooky stuff. Halloween uh, was last month, maybe my favorite holiday, uh, the Day of the Dead, which is a cool um, holiday uh, celebrated in Mexican and Spanish culture, I believe. Um, I, I know that's big down here in, in uh, South Texas. Uh, but we, we got, last time we talked, one of our 
one of our um, interviews, a uh, portion of it got cut off. So that portion of the interview was about you being a witch. I'd love to hear about it. You are a self-proclaimed witch. Is that right? That's right. Uh, I uh, became one slowly, like I have said. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself a witch when I started writing Shadowborn, one of my novels. Uh, they were about uh, pages, right? The hiddens, uh, about witches, basically. Uh, or people becoming witches uh, in the course of the story. Uh, so uh, I, I used about, uh, I started uh, experimenting being a witch in 1989, when I, uh, the moment I started uh, writing the book, <laughs> uh, right? And when I had completed, uh, finished writing the book, yeah, just at least the first draft, four years later, I, I had become a witch too. So, uh, and it was so fun, really. I, uh, as I said, I always loved the night. So, uh, now I've come to love it even more because I'm a witch too. I'm a magician. I'm a sorcerer. And uh, you, you name it, any. Uh, what does it? What does it mean? Let's define some of these things. What is magic? What does it mean to be a witch? What does it mean to be a sorcerer? I love. I'm a philosopher, so I love definitions. Can you define those things for us? Uh, I would say uh, I'm a so-called eclectic. Witch. I pick and choose from many sources, right? I don't follow one particular. Um, direction or anything. Uh, I basically follow my own. Uh, there are some others even in that too. Uh, and we have uh, a lot of in common, right? Uh, uh, we are basically um, atheistic wishes. We, we don't believe in gods, right? Uh, many witches do, but we don't. We don't believe in gods uh, at all. We believe in the power within, right? The fire within, and the shadow of uh, you know uh, the other world. Uh, I think I uh, talked about that too. How I uh, almost died twice. I think. <laughs> so I, uh, I want to stop you here. You said the other world. I kind of want to get into this too. I mean, are we talking about hell, heaven. Are we talking about life in the afterlife when we're talking about the other world what are we talking about exactly uh it's basically a dimension of spirit really um we go there when we die uh, after we die and uh, also while we're still alive too uh, sometimes i've been there several times already it's uh, it's a great place to be we are bombarded with the impressions and sensations uh, and you, you you can't avoid waking up it's like uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, it's like a, a kind of LSD acid uh, uh, acid experience except that far more impressive you uh, you remember everything uh, everything about your past lives and and anything, yeah, anything you might have forgotten returns to you <laughs> when you take it, take a nip uh, at the other side, into the other side. Uh, it's a, it's a gigantic place, right? Uh, you can't really call it a place anyway. It's as I said, it's about a realm of the spirit. So there is no flesh there. It's just the thought. So I, I like physics and talk of the universe. Would you say that this is kind of like a parallel universe that perhaps interacts with the universe we're currently in? No, it's just a, a part. It's a, an integrated part of the universe. It's just different from what uh, most people experience uh, in daily life. Do you uh, think so that there are ghosts, spirits... Oh yes, dead. Are they walking among us right now? Living, uh, living, and uh, uh, I've traveled in spirit many times. 
uh, both uh, voluntarily and involuntarily. So I uh, was visited by a friend, uh, and I was uh, in my youth um, before I really had done much, done much, right? And I uh, feared he was dead, but uh, I called him uh, at the same moment I woke up. I, I was sleeping, right? And no, he was very much alive. Then I understand, understand. We visit other people all the time in dreams. Dreams is basically a kind of way of accessing the other world, uh, the spirit world. Uh, um, there are uh, different realms within spirit one, too. So I haven't really cataloged at uh, all. Uh, except uh, I've done a detailed studio in my writing, in my books, my novels. Uh, most of it is there. Uh, Shadow work is my kind of Bible, if you like, uh, because it, uh, it outlines the rules uh, for, for spiritual, for the other world, uh, Shadow Lamps, if you like. It's, it has many names, right? Uh, even as many names as there are people. Because uh, at some point, uh, we became, humanity became mortal. Because we were able to uh, leave our bodies at death and return to other bodies sometime later. So we, we create a, a realm of spirits with our, with our minds, collective, with our collective minds. And uh, that has just grown this day. Uh, are human beings the only species, maybe, that are able to access this uh, realm? Animals, too? Uh, you know, are there other beings that can get there, or is it just human beings? I, I've never met any aliens, if that was you were referring to. What, what, about, what about animals, though? What about the animals, you know, the dogs, the cats? I met, I met cats and uh, even dogs <laughs> and other, other animals. So, but there are no gods or anything. So that has uh, confirmed my initial hypothesis. hypothesis. Um, about the, the non-existence of gods, if you like. Uh, I met the, the gods are, are basically people. When we, we meet, uh, I haven't uh, told you that. Uh, we meet, basically meet our shadow. We meet, meet our shadow of, uh, uh, outside the spirit around too, uh, outside the shadow land. Uh, because that is us, right? Uh, the shadow, but if maybe big, big lad, big letter S, is our eternal self, right? It, it, it doesn't just contain uh, us like we are now, not just Amos, but uh, everyone we have ever been for, too, right? It's an enormous uh, capacitory for. Uh, knowledge for uh, one being contains enormous bits, enormous uh, amounts of knowledge and information and memories. Do these spirits, do they ever mean us any harm? Can they do harm to us? And what about good and evil? I mean, are there good and evil people? Are there good and evil spirits? Are there good and evil realms? Does that stuff make sense to you? Uh, can you explain it a little bit? Uh, I I've never met I have not I've met uh, malevolent spirits, but they are human or before, previously that uh, have somehow evolved in the, in the wrong direction. But I, I really don't believe in good and evil. At least that's what I would have said uh, six weeks ago. I'm not so sure <laughs> anymore. Right? Yeah. If you could say anything about the scientists, uh, they are as close as evil, close to evil as uh, it's possible to come. 
just like the Nazis, right? So, uh, so in the, uh, if there are evil, there are there is it isn't um, removed from human life, right? It isn't a demon. It isn't a, a, a devil or Satan or anything. It's just the us. We so, like are. human beings, we're capable of doing both good and bad things. So, the spirits, they're, they have the same capabilities, I guess, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. We are, they are us. Since they are us, they are capable of... Uh, and with that power, you get uh, your shadow. Any shadow has enormous power, right? So, if that shadow is malevolent, he would uh, definitely appear as a demon. As, as Satan or anything. But what I was about to say was that when you face your shadow, that's an enormous, uh, powerful experience. And man, he gets so, uh, so scared uh, or so overwhelmed that they either believe they see God or they see uh, Satan, right? But they don't see any of those. They see themselves, <laughs> right? Uh, that's my take on it. Uh, all my experience uh, tell me the truth. Uh, stress the truth. Of that. Uh, I got a couple questions here, a couple follow-ups. This is fascinating. I love it. I love spooky stuff. I love Halloween. What about magic and sorcery? Uh, what, what do you What do you see as magic exactly? How would you define it? How would you define sorcery? Because uh, I'm not religious. I don't believe in a higher power or anything like that. I don't really believe in miracles. But the way I see a miracle is uh, some sort of occurrence that maybe defies the laws of physics. Is that what magic is? Defying the laws of physics or maybe controlling the laws of physics? How would you, how would you describe magic and sorcery? Well, uh, a magician, it's the shadow, basically, right? Uh as I said, uh, the shadow is an enormously powerful being. Uh, so uh, if we manage to uh, access that uh, when we are flesh, we do magic. Uh, I, uh, I've done that. Uh, I've never been very successful, but I have done it. I have managed to do some small stuff. I, try, I, I keep trying to do more. Uh, um, I can imagine those uh, really successful uh, magicians, they have, uh, have an enormous access to their shadow. So they, um, we, have, uh, we have access to our shadow all the time, really, but we have to have conscious, uh, because it's, it's, it's in us, within us, right? Uh, what do you think of telepathy, moving objects with your mind? Absolutely. You think all that's all possible? All that. Everything, absolutely everything is possible. It's just, uh, uh, as, I, as I said, we need to um, access uh, the power within. If we can do that, we can do basically anything. Uh, and uh, and there, but there is nothing outside the realm of physics. Since we are a part, even even the, the shadow is a part of the universe, right? And nothing uh, that is a part of the universe can be a part. What I'm saying now, the the difference about a part and e part, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we so we are we are the, the shadow. And magic and everything—it's just as much, if not more, part of the universe. Than, than I got two—I got two questions here. We got about five minutes here. If we—if we can get to these last two questions, maybe. Um, just generally, and then I'm going to go into some uh, maybe more famous stories. What makes for a good scary story? Is it realistic? Does it have to have some sort of um, you know, connection to the, the world that we live in. Uh, what, what do you see, you know, as an author and as a lover of spooky things just like me? What makes for a good spooky story, a scary story? Uh, does it have to be believable? Are there elements that they ha- it has to have? It has to be believable within the context of the story, of course. 
But but if you write the good story, it it will be. So uh, uh, as I probably mentioned last time, I don't see splatter movies as scary at all. They are laughable. Yeah, I I, I try to create moody stories, uh, emotional with emotional attachments and everything. Uh, the uh, scary stuff grows out of the story, so to speak, right? So, uh, so all the usual things in bad movies, right? They are not really scary at all. They are just laughable, uh, funny. Uh, so, well, let's go to some maybe that. more famous ones here. Um, what do you think about like ghosts generally, uh, zombies, vampires? Um, you know, Frankenstein. You know, maybe a famous one here, uh, essentially about what a, a dead person created by some mad scientist. What do you what do you think about some of the more famous elements again, like uh, ghosts, zombies, vampires, Frankenstein, maybe like a half dead you know kind of creation of man? Uh, what do you think about those things? Do you believe in those things? Werewolves, even I'll throw in werewolves. What do you what do you think about all those maybe historically famous uh, characters you know in, in the stories that we've been passing down for maybe hundreds of years? I am always found the vampire stories and werewolf stories fascinating, so I've written about those. Uh, I'm not sure I believe uh, they exist. They actually exist. But I do, I do believe there are immortals, immortal people. Uh, there are lots of uh, myths and stories throughout human history. And I think it, it, is, uh, it has a foundation in reality. If you uh, get my drift, right? So uh, yes, uh, the, vamp- the vampire. Perhaps some people can drink blood, uh, and uh, it must be uh, not just survive, but thrive. So, and I believe uh, we are changelings too. Uh, some humans are changelings. As I said, he, uh, uh, to repeat myself. Uh, the shadow can do anything. So let's, let's go. Last question here. You talked a little bit about the immortals. Uh, if you're maybe in touch with the shadow, maybe it's possible you live forever. Can the soul live forever? Uh, will most people live forever? What what of the soul? What of eternal consciousness? These are questions I like to think about philosophically. What do you say about uh, again being immortal, the immortal soul, eternal consciousness, eternal existence, infinite? What do you think about those things? We are uh, we are immortal. We are uh, eternal, at least. Uh, our flesh is isn't uh, mostly, at least not mine or yours, probably. Uh, but as I said, there are. Uh, uh, stories about such beings, and I believe there is something to them. Uh, but again, if you can access your shadow, you can do anything. So it would be easy to make yourself uh, eternal young if you uh, if you could um, do the right stuff. Uh, and I believe some people would have done that. Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to tell the audience? We got about two minutes to go. Where can people find you? What are you working on? Anything? Go ahead. The stage is yours. Uh, I have just finished my 27th novel, uh, The Ice in the Sky, the eighth book in the Janus Clown series. The Janus Clown series is my life project. Uh, it's it's uh, 12 books, but I've already written, written and published book number 10, 11, and 12. So I, I just have um, number 9 uh, yeah, left to write. Really. Then we could just we could take uh, another, a third conversation or two, if you like, uh, about my travels and so on. Oh, definitely. Let's uh, let's catch up in 2024, maybe in January or February. Let's keep following up with each other. I, I had a great discussion. Let's talk more about your travels, maybe even some more about the Shadow Realm and some spooky stuff. 
Absolutely, it's uh, so very interesting. I could talk to what we talk about this uh, all day. <laughs> I'm sure you could. I got so much more materials, stuff that we didn't get to. I want to talk about your poker playing too. So uh, you're such an interesting person. So great to talk to. I appreciate your time. Let's stay in touch and catch up again soon. We will. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. Also want to thank my special guest, author Amos Kepler, for a great discussion on climate, geopolitics, and the shadow world. Shout out to Drowning Dog and Malatesta for the music. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out. Stand up, can't see. Got us fucked up.